encourage you to turn to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. And good morning again. If you weren't in here when I did the welcome today, we are glad that you're with us. Starting a new sermon series this morning on the mind. So I want to start with a question. Do you ever think about what you think about? Think about that. Do you ever stop and think about what you think about, what your mind dwells on? You know, we've been in this church league uh, softball, and I like to play catcher because it's fun to stand behind the batters and talk with the umpire, and if the umpire is fun, you can have a lot of great conversations. And a few weeks ago, the umpire had a heckler from the crowd. Uh, after every call, this guy was saying something to the umpire, and he was doing it in a playful, fun way. And after the inning was over, I said to the umpire, that guy's trying to get inside your head. And he laughed real loud, and he said, oh, you don't want to get inside my head. If he got inside my head, he would want to get right back out. <laughs> and I wonder how many of us would say the same thing. You don't want to get inside my head. You don't want to see what I think about on a normal basis. My daughter, often when she's really quiet, we're in the same room. She's often a daydream. She's thinking about something. And so uh, I can just tell she's in deep thought. She'll be quiet for a little while, and then uh, she'll just ask all of a sudden. She'll say, Dad, are you thinking what I'm thinking? And I'll say, no, I'm thinking what I'm thinking. How can I know what you're thinking? Only God knows what you're thinking. But our minds are always working. Our brains are always going. There's always energy going through it, even if we don't know that, and we don't realize that we're thinking. And in our culture, we say things like, i got to get my head on straight. i got to get that out of my mind. You know, we always have these references to our minds. And we even say things like, what's wrong with you where you dropped on your head as a baby? You know, we, we have these references to our minds. So Jesus, when he was on this earth, as a Jewish rabbi was often approached by teachers of the law, by Pharisees, and they would ask him this question, what's the most important command? What's the first command? So, you know, there's 613 laws found in the Old Testament. So what's the most important one? And you know Jesus' answer. He gives the answer, the Shema from Deuteronomy 6. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your what? With all your mind, and with all your strength. So in the original Hebrew, the word mind is not in there in Deuteronomy 6. But in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the mind is added in there, and there's many reasons for that because the word mind can be translated as different uh, ways of who we are as a being. But Jesus includes, love the Lord your God with all your mind. So it was important enough to Jesus to tell us, to tell his followers to love God with all of your being, with all of who you are, including your mind. So what I want to talk about over the next few weeks is how do we love God with all of our minds? How does the mind become the dwelling place of Christ? And what I want to do with this sermon series is I want to get inside your head. Or maybe that's a weird way of saying it. I want you to get inside your own head and take a serious look about what you think about. What goes on in your mind, where your mind goes, what you dwell on. What do you think about throughout the day? What is your way of processing information? What are default modes that you have and pathways that you've created in your mind? What do you fantasize about? What do you daydream about? Where does your mind go and how can the mind become the dwelling place of Christ? How can you take captive 
every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Now, I know that we live in a country where mental health issues are very prominent. Most of you in this room have either struggled with your own mental health issue or you've had family members who have had mental health issues. You've had parents or grandparents towards the end of their life who maybe have lost their memory and you saw that process as it was very sad and would slowly take place and lose their ability to process information and understand and assess the situation. We have issues like sadness and depression and anxiety and addiction. And I want to tell you that when I talk about mental health, I don't take it lightly. I know it affects a lot of people. And I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a doctor. I'm not trying to prescribe anyone anything. I just want you to do a little self-reflection over the next few weeks as we look at the mind and what the Bible has to say about the mind. Because how we think, how we process information determines pretty much everything else that we do. So how can we love God with all of our minds? And I want to use Romans chapter 6 as our jump-off text for this, this short series. We did our scripture reading from Romans 6 this morning. So I'm going to kind of tag along with that, read Romans 6, verses 16 through 23. It's kind of a lengthy reading. I encourage you to follow along. And if it helps, as we read, count how many times we read the word slave or enslaved. And count how many times the word free or freed is used. Let's begin Romans 6, starting in verse 16. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you, having once been slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. And that you, having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you were once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to greater and greater iniquity, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness for sanctification. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. So what advantage did you get from the things of which you are now ashamed? The end of those things is death, but now that you have been freed from sin and enslaved to God, the advantage you get is sanctification. The end is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So how many times does Paul use the word slave or enslaved? Eight times. And I'm, I don't even know if that's accurate, but I'm going with whoever said that. Eight times, and, and that's not even the whole chapter. How many times do you use the word free? Three. And I think in the whole chapter he uses it four or five times. So Romans 6, you kind of pick up on the theme. We're either slaves or we're free or we're all slaves. So if you could summarize Romans 6, I think what Paul is saying is everybody is a slave to something. Our minds are going to be enslaved to something, and that's either going to lead to death Or it leads to eternal life. If we're a slave to sin, that leads to death. But if we take our mind and make it captive to God, to righteousness, that leads to eternal life. So we pick up on these themes that that Paul is using here in Romans 6. And in the entire letter to this church in Rome, he's trying to unify Jews and Gentiles, you know, to form one church. So Paul is not writing a letter about mental health. 
But in the brilliance of Paul, guided by the Holy Spirit, there's a lot that we can gain about mental health from this text. When I was in Denver, we used to give what's called a turf tour. So you're in downtown Denver, and you have all these huge skyscrapers and these million-dollar condos and apartment complexes, and you have professional baseball stadiums, professional football stadiums, and it's all around you. But right below it are storm drains and tunnels and alleyways. So right below all this wealth is all this poverty and these people that live on the streets. So local businesses and corporations and churches and youth groups would want to go on a turf tour. So we would take them around downtown Denver and show them places that they don't normally pay attention to. And there was a point on the turf tour where we would take them in this storm drain and we would walk deep into the storm drain far enough to where it was starting to get dark. You know, the sunlight was starting to dim because we were getting dark and deep enough into the storm drain and You could see all around there was graffiti on the walls, sleeping bags, pillows, used needles. And we're showing the people on the tour, this is where some people live. And we see spray painted on the wall the word freedom, except it was spelled F-R-E-E-D-O-O-M. So we always raise the question, whoever spray painted this, I wonder if they just don't know how to spell. Did they just spell freedom wrong, or is it possible that what they spray-painted is what they meant, free doom? We live in a free country, and as followers of Jesus, we are free in Christ, but mentally, a lot of us are enslaved. Mentally, a lot of us may not feel very free. So the key word at the beginning here is enslavement. Paul, in verse 19 of chapter 6, says, I am using an everyday example because of your human limitations. So the reason that Paul uses this slave example over and over is because it's something they would have seen on a daily basis. Slavery in the Greco-Roman world in the first century was incredibly common. Every time they walked out the door, walked down the streets, go to a store, go to somebody's house... They would see slaves. It was just common. You know, we have a very nasty history with slavery in America, and that was based on race. But if you could go all the way back 2,000 years ago, slavery was not based on race. There was many factors. Most people were born into slavery. But in the Roman Empire, about 30% of all human beings were slaves. In the city of Rome itself, 250,000 slaves were sold a year. You could tell who a slave was by their clothing. It was usually old and kind of ragged a little bit. So you could probably have an idea if you go into somebody's house who a slave is, you know, based on what they're doing. But if you were a slave in the Greco-Roman world, your life was 100% dependent on your master. How they treated you, what you had to do, all of that was dependent on who owned you. If you were a male and you were a slave... No matter how old you were, you were still considered a boy. Men had rights, but boys did not have rights. So you could be a 40-year-old man and a slave, and you're still considered a boy. You know, women were often used and abused, but all of that comes back to who owns you, who has mastered you. So Paul says in chapter 6, verse 19, the reason that he keeps using this as an example is because it's something that they would have seen in Rome on a normal basis. And in our world, slavery is still kind of common, mental enslavement. And we call it addiction. 
And 23 million Americans plus struggle with addiction. And if I'm going to do a sermon series on the mind and loving God with all of our mind, that may be a good place to start. Because a lot of us don't feel very free and a lot of people struggle with addiction. And when you think of addiction, you might think of substance abuse, but there's several different types of addictions. Adam Alter defines addiction this way. He says it's something you enjoy doing in the short term that undermines your well-being in the long term, but you do it compulsively anyways. When you take that definition, which I think is a great definition of addiction, you know it goes beyond just drug abuse. Something that you're doing in the short term that you enjoy, maybe it feels good, it brings you pleasure, it helps you have a mental escape, but you know while you're doing it, it's going to cause you harm in the long term, but you just do it compulsively anyways. Right? So any addiction that we may struggle with is an unhealthy priority in someone's life. And you place whatever that may be ahead of responsibilities, your own health and well-being, family, friends, relationship with God. If it becomes the number one priority in your life, you might be struggling with an addiction. It's taken from the Latin word enslaved to or bound to, enslaved by. And we get this word addiction. So we see some of the overlap between this word that Paul uses in Romans 6 and a common problem that we see in our own country quite often. The early church father, Augustine, said that sin begins as a stranger, invites itself in as a guest, and then forces itself as a master. So the way that he viewed sin was that it slowly creeps in on your life. I don't know why I'm about to use this as an example, but I heard someone say that if you wanted to boil a frog and you drop a frog in boiling water, it hops right back out. But if you put the frog in water and slowly boil it, it doesn't hop out. And most of the time, that's what happens with sin in our life. It starts slowly and it builds, and then eventually, according to Augustine, it demands most of our attention, most of our thoughts, and becomes a master. In addiction, we have the law of diminishing returns, where your brain, the way that your brain responds, you have this dopamine uh, release into the reward centers of your brain, but we build up tolerance, so every time you do it, you need more and more to get that same high, and we do that compulsively and obsessively. Addiction hijacks the brain. So if we're going to love God with all of our minds, it's hard to do that if we feel that we're enslaved to something. And so, again, the most common thing we think of is substance abuse, but there's also behavioral addictions, such as gambling, sexual addictions, and many other behavioral addictions. And one of the growing addictions that a lot of people can relate to is technology. Someone has said recently that technology is a great servant, but a terrible master. Now think about that. Just yesterday, as I was working on my sermon in Bible class, I was able to use my phone to engage my notes and add new things in there, and it's automatically saved. I got online and checked my bank statements. I used Google Maps to get where I was going. Technology is very helpful. I'm not bashing technology. It's a great servant, but it's a terrible master. Studies have shown that we look at our phones every 4.3 minutes. We're looking at our phones. And that doesn't include text messages, phone calls, 
and notifications. So every waking hour, moment that we're awake, on average, we check our phones every 4.3 minutes. It becomes obsessive and compulsive. And a lot of you know what I'm talking about. You just mindlessly scroll through social media, and we just kind of narcotize for a little bit. And we just don't even think about what's going on around us. We're absent to the people around us because we're bowing to our idols as we place our heads down. The World Health Organization has now recognized gaming disorder as an addiction. And in certain places in the world, like Japan and China and South Korea, you can go to inpatient rehabilitation centers, turn in your devices, and detox for a while from your devices. So I bring this up because a lot of you can relate to that. But when I'm thinking about Romans 6, and Paul is talking about freedom in Christ, but he's also talking about being slaves to sin, that creeps its way in in many different shapes and forms. So are we experiencing freedom or free doom? Paul begins Romans 6 with a question. He's anticipating what they're going to ask as they have this letter read to them. He talks a lot about grace. So should we keep on sinning so that grace will increase? And he says, by no means. And then in verse 15, he asks pretty much the same question. Because we're no longer under the law, but we're under grace through Jesus Christ. Does that mean that we keep on sinning? And Paul says, no. It's not a license to sin. Freedom in Christ doesn't mean that we get to do whatever we want to. And when we live like that, this word free doom connects with us. When we live however we want to and give in to whatever desires we want, in the short term, you might enjoy it, but in the long term, it compromises your health. So the first key word is this word enslavement, and the second is freedom. I want to go back just a little bit to the beginning of Romans 6. I want to read a few verses in Romans 6, verses 3 through 7. Paul writes, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we have been buried with him by baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in death like this, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like this. We know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be destroyed and we might no longer be enslaved to sin. Forever has died is freed from sin. So, especially in the Church of Christ, you know, this is a passage we've been familiar with because of Paul's language on baptism. And this is one of my favorite texts on baptism, the way that Paul describes it. He's asking them, "Remember remember your baptism, remember when you were baptized. And he's saying, when you were, you, you died. You joined Jesus in that death process. When Jesus died on the cross, we're dying to our old self. Jesus was buried. We're buried. And then there's the resurrection. And he offers newness of life through Jesus, through baptism. Right? So I love this text and the way that Paul presents it. But for the Jewish Christians who would have been reading Romans initially, they probably would have thought of the Exodus story. Because the Israelites were slaves in Egypt under the hand of Pharaoh, rescued from slavery through the waters, through the Red Sea, and out on the other side. So maybe they're connecting the two, thinking about, oh, our baptism. We were once slaves, and now we are free, 
But yet, the Israelites, while they were in the wilderness, often were tempted to just go back to being slaves again. And Paul is saying, fight against that temptation. You have been set free in Christ. You no longer have to be slaves. He uses this word free in verse 7, verse 8, verse 18, verse 20, and verse 22. So those are the two key words, enslavement or freedom. Freedom or free doom. How do we love God with all of our minds, with all of our thoughts? And it's hard to love God with all of our minds if we are obsessively, compulsively participating in a habit that is destructive to us and to those around us. This is a picture of a man named Viktor Frankl. He is a Holocaust survivor. He was a psychiatrist uh, forced into these concentration camps along with his wife and his brother and his parents. And during this time, his dad died of a sickness. His mom, his brother, and his wife were all murdered. And he was left to survive on his own in these concentration camps. He's lost everything. And on top of that, he's physically suffering himself, but he's well known for his work after his time in the concentration camps because his big life purpose, he becomes this professor, is teaching people mentally how to find meaning in their existence, even in great forms of suffering. So he's famous for saying this, everything can be taken from a man, but one thing the last of the human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. So he believed they can take everything from you, destroy your life, but there's one thing that they cannot take from you, and that's the last of the human freedoms, your ability to choose to think. Where you place your focus. Nobody can take that from you. And Paul tells us in another letter in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, that we take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. So as followers of Jesus, the mind is an important place. And I believe a lot of who we are and how we behave begins there. So how can we love God with all of our minds? And this morning we're about to sing a few more songs and I say this normally, but I I just want to encourage you to know this. We have shepherds in this church who will be around this building, who some will be walking around. If you're caught in a bad habit or an addiction, I just feel like I should say we're not going to judge you. But this is a great place to take a step forward in getting some help. Like You don't have to live like that. You've been set free, or you can be set free in Christ. So get help. Go talk with someone. Start that process today. Or if you know someone whose life is caught in an addiction and you want to pray for them, then use this opportunity today to pray for them. If you need to come up front, you can do that. You can grab one of our shepherds around. But let's stand and continue our time of worship.